Hi, I'm Jennifer Love of the Living Wealthy Institute, and this is The Nature of Money Show. My mission as a money therapist is to empower leaders to end what I call emotional poverty and to grow their internal net worth right alongside growing their investments and businesses, ultimately to live wealthy. I'm excited to share these stories with you. And so subscribe right now to The Nature of Money wherever you find podcasts to get episodes as soon as they drop. So how is self-sabotage limiting your ability to earn money? So often we're not even aware of how we're sabotaging ourselves. We're putting artificial constraints that hold us back from our true potential. I call this self-sabotage an upper limit. And I'm here today with three powerful female founders, and we're going to discuss a time that they experienced an upper limit in their life and their career and what they did to overcome it. These women are Natalie Jill, a high-performance coach, Lavinia Eureko, a visionary wellness CEO. She um, co-founded Equinox. Lisa Sasevich, an award-winning entrepreneur and business coach. And so together what we discuss is the relationship between financial health, mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health, and also the role of uh, self-inquiry and how self-inquiry can really change the cycle of sabotage and the emotional experience and internal dialogue that's involved in that and the habits that are necessary to build resilience. I also interviewed Emma Sharkey, a sports psychologist, and we talk about the power of mindset to optimize our performance. So come join me in this conversation to learn how to identify your patterns of self-sabotage. And as you listen, I invite you to explore how to optimize how you're showing up in your life and your business. Our upper limit isn't good or bad that I think of it in terms of an indicator. It's an indicator of what needs attention inside of you. It's like the dashboard. You know, we've got all kinds of dashboards. We've got financial dashboards, so we know what's happening, you know, in revenue, in our expenses, and what our profit margin is. But guess what? The upper limit is also kind of like part of the dashboard of what's making you feel free and whole and be able to grow and have capacity to go beyond your wildest dreams. We think we live in a world without limits. We want to believe that. In practice, though, that everything is defined by limits that's imposed by the environment that it exists in and around. The environment in your brain, the environment in your emotional, in your emotion, the environments and how connected you are spiritually in the environment of what's happening in the state of your body are all contributing as well as the environments of nature that we are living in and how it is being impacted and therefore impacting us. The environment of society at large, how we are interacting and relating together. I've not yet met a person who doesn't suffer from some kind of upper limit issue. Even if they're running multi-million or billion dollar companies and have banks 
and investments filled with cash. We all have upper limits. And I think one of the important things to really understand in ourself is that we often can't see the upper limit. We can feel it, but we can't really see it. One of the most common upper limits is I work hard for my money. I have to work money. Making money is hard because money stresses you out and you have a really complicated history with it and it elicits a ton of anxiety for you. And so you're using food and alcohol to cope or you've got constipation and headaches and your shoulders are hurting you or maybe you're plagued with extra pounds on your body. But constantly your mind is in a state of worry. And how you think and what you feel about money stresses you out. And it shows up in really debilitating ways all across your life. Or another upper limit. I've got really big secrets that I don't want anyone to know. Because you're staying up late at night and you're shopping online. Or you're reactively spending to try to make yourself feel better. Or you're keeping things to yourself and withholding information from your team, from your partner, from your financial team. And so all of this is creating guilt and shame and really poor money habits. Like, for example, one of my clients who took out a $100,000 loan without telling her husband and business partner, oops, right? Or having a couple of boyfriends or fiancés or husbands steal money from you. Like a client I've had who made $10 million and had it stolen twice. And we don't want to talk about it because we live in shame of it. Because of the inevitable personal ruin that comes along because we're not doing anything to step into the light and get help because we're afraid. Another limit. Why am I freaking not there yet? Oh my goodness. This is, this is one for leaders who've been in the business for a while. And I hear this a lot. Why am I not there yet? Like, you know, you're doing all the personal development. You're doing all the business coaching. You're doing all the stuff. You've been in this rat race for a while. You know, you feel like you're on a fast track to nowhereville and you don't understand it. And you're like, I thought I should already be there. And so there's just this deep dissatisfaction that's happening. And this, again, eliciting shame and guilt and and all the things that then want to keep us in the shadows, in the darkness, stuffing us down. I'll save the day is another upper limit. Like you, you made it, you reached your financial success. You've, you've had and been given a lot of opportunities, advantages, you've leveraged them in like all kinds of cool ways. But yet there's this really deep whisper inside of you that says, but you don't deserve it. And so you feel like you don't deserve all the goodness that you have in your life. And maybe you start to turn around and start playing small, start dimming your light, start 
hiding out because you don't want to take anything away from anyone else. Or you try to save the day and put yourself at risk and make decisions from a place of feeling guilty or not deserving. And so you're trying to make up for it by doing things that are hurting you, making financial decisions that are hurting your profitability or another upper limit. It's like mirror, mirror on the wall. You know, all you see really looking back at you are the things that you want to fix or change. You've got ideas about what you want to do, how you want to grow your business, but there's this constant heaviness that makes it feel like it all has to be perfect or it's not going to work out. And so you see all the problems all across your life, everything you just make it feel like you got to fix yourself because you're broken. That's the deep voice inside yourself telling you that you're not good enough. It's the not good enough story. But the truth is that what's holding you back from yourself is your willingness to actually look at your own value for fear of rejection. And then there's the, am I doing the right thing upper limit? Is this the right thing? Is this my life calling? Is this what I should do? I'm not sure. And so you're flipping around and you're trying a bunch of stuff and you just never are really settling into yourself. And so you're jumping from one business to another, one job to another, one idea, one project to another, and you're not actually sticking with something because you feel like you don't know what that something is because you don't know who you are or what's happening in running your show. First, I talked to Natalie Jill of NatalieJill.com. Natalie is a fat loss expert turned high performance coach who helps women change their conversation around age, potential, and possibility. Natalie, can you tell me about a time when you had a self-imposed upper limit? And I've had many of those in my life. In fact, I call them self-imposed stops because when those happen, they stop us from moving forward until we recognize that we have a limitation that we've set for ourselves. So I've had many times in my life where I've had these setbacks or what I viewed as setbacks. And until I was able to realize it was my own mind creating a false assumed truth around it, it was it would keep me stuck. And the most recent thing uh, where this really showed up in my life was, you know, I have this huge fitness and fat loss and nutrition platform. And I built an entire business on that, helping so many women um, get in their best shape and get healthy. And I had three major injuries within a year, like major injuries within a year. And each one tore at me a little bit more. Uh, I started having thoughts of, you know, is this should I, am I too old for this? Is this too late? You know, who am I fooling? Maybe, maybe it's true. You know, maybe at, I'm 49 as we're recording this, maybe at my age, it's just, I shouldn't be doing this anymore. And with each injury, it was digging a little bit more at my, at my belief system. And, uh, it started with a massive disc rupture in my lower back. Uh, I was filming on set and I ruptured a disc and, 
it's like that didn't stop me. <laughs> you know, I ruptured the disc. I had surgery. I went through recovery and I kept going. I kept going. And then the second injury, uh, I tore a bicep at my distal, um, which was a, which is a major injury. And I had a surgery with that and I kept going, but I felt like I was hiding this, uh, belief set that I had created. And it wasn't until the third injury, uh, when I broke my foot all in a year, they had to really look at what is the belief that I'm creating? Like what, what, where am I accountable for this? Where am I responsible for this? And when I was able to shift this and able to share with people, uh, they resonated, they connected. And, um, I was able to push through and create some, create new things and create better things. When we're hurt or injured or something's off or wrong, we tend to like want to live in that excuse. So it's easy to say, I'm hurt. I ruptured a disc so I can't work out or I'm hurt. Uh, therefore this. And that creates this pain cycle of, I'm not going to go work out. I'm not going to go move my body. I'm not going to go do these things because I have this injury. And then when we don't do that, we start changing our habits and our lifestyle. So maybe we're watching TV more. Maybe we're eating a little bit more junk. We're not as active. Then we gain weight, for example. And then our story that we create is, well, I have an injury. So therefore this happened. And that keeps you in this little pain cycle where a new story could be, wow, I have a new challenge. Um, I was injured here. So what else can I do to work around that? What else could I do to create uh, results even though I have this? And that busts you through a, a limiting belief right there. And it lets you get to another level and it breaks you out of that pain cycle. So, But so many people do the opposite. They're injured so they don't move versus like, okay, um, I like when I tore my bicep, great. I was just starting to work out again. I tore my bicep. I can't do that, but I can go walk every day now. So let me go do several miles of walking. And what does that open up for me? So that's one side of it. But the other side of it is to look at like, why did I keep getting injured? <laughs> like, what's my belief there? Like, it was my belief that I have to be superhuman was my belief that I need to constantly be proving that I can do what a 20 year old can do. Like, what was that drive, what was that belief that I had that had it so I kept getting injured? <laughs> so so once I was able to really look at that, that changed for me and I stopped getting injured. I always say I kill fat for a living and fat can mean the fat on our bodies, but more importantly, it means what I call false assumed truths. And it's recognizing that we all have these stories and these beliefs that we carry that um, we start living by. So we believe something we find evidence around it, and then that becomes what I call a self-imposed stop. So now we don't create results because of this belief that we have. So the habit is to recognize when is a false assumed truth coming up and what do I actually want to believe versus what I'm believing. So for example, um, because I deal so much with women and health and you know fat loss, um, so many times women have a belief that their genetics or their hormones or um, their... Uh, their age is playing a role in something. Well, it might be, but the more we believe that, more the more we find evidence that, that that's true and the more we stay stuck there and the more that becomes a self-imposed stop. But the new habit would be to think, okay, I'm having this thought, but that's not the result that I want with that thought. So what's a different thought that I can create? And that's when it's, you know, my, my motto has become, you're not too old and you're not too late. Um, because, uh, that's a new thought pattern that you create within a habit that you start living up to that belief instead. So this, this happens all the time with all different situations. I know you deal a lot with money. Um, Jen, that's a, that's something that you really focus on with people. Well, a lot of people have this self imposed stop around money that like I'm always broke or I always earn money and I lose it, or I'm not 
the type of person who could earn this type of money, or I don't know how to manage money. Those are all false assumed truths that start stopping you. So a new, a new thought pattern or a new habit would be, I attract money all the time, or I'm great at managing money, or I attract it. The faster I earn it, the more I make, you know, just changing that, that habit around those beliefs. We have about 60,000 thoughts a day as a human, 60,000 that, that cycle through our brain every single day. And most of them are not positive and uplifting. Most of them are these things tearing us down. So the habit is to start recognizing that and to start shifting into something else you want to believe that's better. Changing our mindset to give us our best performance is it really that simple? If we kind of just turn to the science for a moment, our brains are designed to keep us safe on a physical level. It's a wonderful organ, but when it gets out of control <laughs> and or it's really triggered because it's thinking it needs to go into a state of protection, of defense, then what happens is it elicits a stress response. And so that's why we hear that fight, freeze, or fawn. Because the brain is designed to help us stay safe. However, we've evolved well beyond a lot of the physical dangers that we once experienced as a race, as a humanity. And so as we're evolving, we're up against our own emotionality, our own psychology, the way we think about things, how we're taking in information and processing that. So we're up against that with our brain. That's the new threat. Don't you see? That's actually what we're fighting. We're fighting ourselves in all of our programming. We are trying to become free, but we don't know that our brain is actually overriding our ability to go beyond. And what role does mindset play in sports training? So I brought in Emma Sharkey who describes mindset and how it carries over into the field. Emma is a registered psychologist from South Australia who has a strong focus on sport and performance psychology and she started her career in the South Australian Sports Institute where she worked across multiple sporting programs and has since gone into private practice. Here's Emma. Mindset comes down to being really, really clear on what it is you want to live when you're out there on the on the field or on the pitch or on the track. But then it also comes down into a lot of skill building as well. So your ability to regulate your emotions, to, to cope with pressure, to be able to maintain your focus and your concentration, particularly in some sports where that can be quite a challenge. So the golf of golfs and tennis players, they are that's a quite a challenge for them. Um, but their ability to think helpfully when things are going wrong, the ability to bounce back after a setback, and the abil- ability to prepare really well and be consistent with your performance. And another issue that a lot of people come to me with is, hey, I'm really great at training, but when I get out into the match, I, I choke or I'm really good um, some games, but then other games I'm completely terrible. How do I get more consistent? And so we definitely talk about all of these skills and uh, even mental rehearsal in terms of being able to uh, use the skill of imagery to to see that performance um, come to life in your brain. 
and be able to start to really think through that in a really helpful way and, and live that prior to being out there on the field in, in a helpful way. And I talk to athletes about these skills as exactly that, skills. We have to practice them. We have to really work at it. We have to catch our, our brain when it wanders off into some unhelpful thinking because it will at some point. And uh, being able to train our brain to, to do these things. It's, and I often talk about um, this as a, as a physical, like we would with a physical skill. If we want to increase our strength, we have to go to the gym and we have to do weights and we just have to go day after day or for, for many weeks and months before we'll notice an increase in strength. The same thing with our mental skills. We have to practice them really regularly day after day before we're going to notice any huge difference because they are skills that take time to learn. Just like once upon a time, none of us knew how to tie our shoes. And the first time we started learning to tie our shoes, we were, got really confused and it was clunky and it took us forever. In fact, our parents probably got pretty frustrated at us and we had to really practice it, practice it, practice it. And now as adults, we don't think about it at all. We just bend over and tie our shoe. And that's the same thing with our mental skills. They're going to feel awkward and clunky and not really smooth and might take a long time initially. But as we get better at it and practice it more and more, we're going to get better at it and start to use them as like we would with any other habit in our world. Next, I talk to Lavinia Eureka. And she's the visionary founder behind Equinox Fitness Clubs, a nationally acclaimed workplace and wellness entrepreneur. She's also a sought-after board member, a consultant, and an angel investor. And she invests in diverse companies and startups across multiple industries. And she's inspired to transform individuals and organizations in her unique and often disruptive take on how to create a richer, more authentic, inspiring, and joyful career. And life journey. So Lavinia, what self-imposed upper limit have you overcome? Well, I would say when we were creating Equinox, actually we were in it and we had already been opened for, I would say about a year. And we definitely were doing what we love to do. We were definitely impacting and people were coming and there was a lot of excitement and energy and, and we were just, you know, kept moving the bar higher and higher and higher and we were working. I mean, we were, I was like jumping out of bed at 630 in the morning, getting into the club to train by seven. But you know, when, even when you're working out and you're training, you're still watching everything. You're still working. Um, and you know what, like we were not turning it off. Like I was not walking in my house until like 1130 at night, because at night you're out, you know, you're out with the health and beauty editors, or you're out with going to certain events that you sort of need to go to, to get the PR and, and get the vibe and the people that you want and so forth. And I jumped out of bed one morning, um, again, about a year into this, and I jumped out of bed and bam, I landed flat on my face. It was like I was the epitome of what people looked at and said, wow, she's healthy. Because I was working out every day and I was sometimes teaching classes if I had to. And, you know, I definitely was moving. My food was in check. The way I... um, 
yeah, my, my food, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I had good relationships. I, I mean, I just, uh, you looked at me, you were like, that girl is healthy. And now this situation happens and I'm end up in the hospital. I have a broken cheek and, and that was like a moment of like, all right, what's going on here? How do I process this? Where am I going? And I just remember I, I wanted to, I was at Lenox Hill Hospital in New York City and I lived, that was the east side, but I lived on the west side and I'm walking home through the park, through Central Park and all I'm thinking is I just want to put my sneakers on and go for like a five mile run because that's how I dealt with um, anything that was painful anything that was out of balance in my life, the way I dealt with it was exercise. And at that time, the doctor was like, I think you just need to rest. And, you know, I took that, that next year and I really deeply explored what does it really mean to be healthy? And I did so many different modalities. And it was really that journey that, that and that uncertainty and that, you know, somewhat um, uh, fearful time in my life that I just kept pursuing. And I just knew there has to be some answers here on what does it really mean to be healthy. And at the end of it, you know, we created this Equinox Wellness Center that had all these different modalities, you know, from acupuncture to craniosacral to Feldenkrais to we even had a woman in there that did colonics, meditation, hypnotherapy, osteopathy. We had a naturopath. We had a homeopathic practitioner. I constantly get these reminders of when things are out of balance, (laughs) you know, and I say, I think we all get them. I think we all get those gentle nudges. And then a lot of people, you have to wait for the Mack truck to hit you before you will actually stop. And I think I was not, I wasn't clearly getting the Mack truck, but I was definitely had some prior to that falling, I had some gentle nudges that I decided to not look at, right? just keep going, keep going. This is what you do. You know, I just, everything was like, you got to hit your goals. You got to hit your numbers. You got to hit this. You got to hit that. Like, um, I was just so hyperly focused. I'm by nature. I'm a very disciplined person. And if you give me a goal, I'm very competitive. Um, even within myself, I will meet that goal. My passion, I would say is personal growth. (laughs) My passion is, um, learning more about, how the universe and us and the earth and how everything is so connected. Like I just, I thoroughly, thoroughly, like that's my passion is understanding how all of this happens and the organic process of it and how being a clear vessel and how being um, grounded and present and really um, connecting to your real authentic truth, you know? So I, I, between reading and going on retreats and I've, I love doing different workshops with different people and, 
And um, it's just, it's a passion of mine. You know, I have a, an amazing spiritual teacher that I work with and, and um, doing a practice. I, I, I have a practice that I do. So it just, it's staying, um, it's staying in it, you know, having really good spiritual hygiene, mental hygiene, emotional hygiene, and physical hygiene. Like all of that is important to me. And, and And I do it in a way where it feels joyful to me. Because I do see sometimes people that have worked on themselves and all of a sudden they think they have the answers and they think they they know it. And I'm thinking, I never know it. I never feel that way. It's just about learning and growing and, and looking. You know, we're all just doing our best. We're all human beings that are just trying to do our best, right? So it's to just stay in that, that mindset that awareness, that consciousness, like to stay conscious and, and to say, because sometimes we'll do things unconsciously, you know, we have pretty crazy behavioral patterns that get in there. When I lay in bed at night that I ask myself, who was kind to me today? Who was I kind to? Who could I have been more tolerant and patient with? You know, so it's, it's that work that keeps me on track and keeps me feeling good and keeps me connected to me, my soul, my essence, my being, and not my doing. Lavinia models self-improvement beautifully. Let's turn back to Emma Sharkey. How can we stay motivated to stay in our own self-improvement journeys? Uh, so there's this great theory of motivation uh, called self-determination theory by Ryan and DC, and they talk about three elements needing to be really, really important for our motivation. The first one being competence. We need to feel like we're competent at what we're doing or that we are competent enough uh, that we can move forward and understanding that our competence will grow as we do more. We need to feel connected and related to other people. We need to make sure that we have that sense of relatedness uh, in what we're doing. You know, we connect even individual sports or individual uh, things that we might uh, pursue um, in, our, in our businesses or things like that. We need to know that we're connected and supported by others. And the most important one is autonomy, which is that sense of control over what I'm doing. I'm in control here. It's not that you have control over everything because I think most of us know there's a whole bunch of things in our world that we don't have control over. But it's that sense of I'm in control, I'm in charge here and I'm making the decisions uh, for me that I need to make. And so when we have those three components, our motivation is more likely to be that internal intrinsic drive. Um, and, And other models have also included having purpose, so knowing really clearly why you're doing something as well which I think is a really important one and I have a a beautiful story of an athlete that I worked with who went to the Paralympic Games and this athlete's motivation um, had all of those elements to it but also had a really strong purpose in that he wanted to compete and get to the Paralympics because his grandma who had, had passed away by then had always told him that his disability was a superpower and that he could he could do whatever he wanted with it. And so his purpose, a part of being in Rio, was to really 
to, it was because grandma had believed in him so much and grandma had been a really important part of his purpose and his motivation. And so having your vision slash your purpose, having that autonomy, having that sense of com- uh, connection and connectedness and having that, um, that sense of competence in what you're doing is really, really important in your motivation. And next, I talked to Lisa Sasevich. She's an award-winning entrepreneur and business coach who has an easy-to-follow formula that helps entrepreneurs own their unique value, make more money, have more impact, and get more out of life, all without being salesy or pushy. So Lisa, what upper limit did you encounter, and how did you transform that limit? So about... 12 years ago, I was working in my dream job. It was a personal development company that was teaching women, primarily teaching women, how to understand and appreciate men and how to create empowered partnerships with the men in their lives. And not just the romantic relationship, which is the obvious one that people think about, but all the men in their lives. So men that we work with, uh, our sons, our relatives, like really across the board. And I loved the work and I loved the founder. And it was, you know, yet again, a time where I just really believed in in somebody's work and got behind them and and built the company. You know, the during my reign, the company went from three hundred thousand in sales to one point three million in sales, and it wasn't the first time that that had happened. Um, I used to do that in corporate. I would get onto a team, like I was on the Pfizer Viagra launch team, and we brought that product to market. And I can't take the full credit, but I think it did pretty well. And um, I worked for Hewlett Packard. So I worked in corporate, and then um, I transitioned into really more of personal development work and supporting companies that I thought were making a difference. And so I knew that I had that gift to get behind a mission that I believed in and really accelerate its growth. But I had never really identified what I was doing or how or that I had any unique gift to contribute to that. I mean, I knew I had some moxie. I knew there was a gift inside me to bring value. Um, But, you know, it always occurred to me that it, it just needed to be tucked into something that was already built. And so I was working in my dream job at this company and I was there six years. I thought I would be there forever. I really just pictured myself doing that for the rest of my life. And uh, to my own surprise, the night before Christmas Eve, um, I received a phone call from the founder, who was you know, a female mentor to me, that uh, I was fired, that uh, was just the way that I worked in the company was no longer a fit, and that um, despite all of her promises that it was you know, okay to be myself and okay to to spread my wings there, um, that it just, it wasn't a fit. And, um, I was no longer going to be working there, you know, as we went into the new year. And I got to tell you, um, aside from my mother passing away when I was 19 years old, this was this, the second hardest hit I had ever taken in my life. Um, it had a lot of the similar qualities of losing a female mentor, a woman that I really trusted and loved, and um, and it was just as shocking. So, you know, I, I 
I guess to make it even more exciting, I should share that I had a three-year-old boy and a newborn on the way, who's now my daughter, Sierra. She actually I can see how many years it is because she's 14 and he's 17. So I guess it's a few more years ago than I thought. So, um, and my then husband was in fellowship to become a heart surgeon. So we were on the whole residency, you know, fellowship, medical school, the whole thing, a very long path. And he is now a successful heart surgeon. So we did do that. So I, you know, I was supporting the family, having a, a, a baby on the way and a three-year-old and I'm fired from my dream job. And um, I, I was spun. And I definitely uh, could see a pattern of working in companies, feeling like I was indispensable, and then finding out it was dispensable. So I started to question my own beliefs about, you know, did I, did I need to be the successful sidekick? Or was there something that I had that I could bring value on its own? And what was that? And it's interesting, you know, fast forward now over a decade, and I have a name for it, um, which is my unique value. Sometimes I call it my million dollar value and um, have actually come to teach other people how to find this because my own exploration um, was so meaningful and it has made such a difference in my life. What turns you on? You know, what do you love in life? And I thought it was kind of... um, funny the answer that what turned what turned me on I was almost embarrassed to say but what turned me on what was right there was I loved leading introductory events for the work we were doing you know the personal development work we were doing I loved having you know 20 women come and find out about our programs and then you know from uh, of those 20 like 30% of them, you know, uh, what would that be? Six of them would sign up right on the spot for a weekend seminar. And then once, you know, and then as I got better at it, it would be 40% and 50%. And, and I just, I loved figuring out what is it that has someone gain trust quickly and be able to, to say yes on the spot. And, and, and like, how do you build that trust? And how do you give people what they need in order to make that decision that's, that might transform their life? I mean, in the work we were doing, it certainly workshops were transformational. So when a woman decided to do those workshops, I knew it was like that was a moment of transformation. So I, 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 that's what I shared with my coach. And, and when I shared that you know, 30, 40% of the women who would come to our intros would register for our programs, and then once they were in the program, the first workshop, um, like, 86% of them would go on to do all the other workshops. I heard this silence on the other end of the line. <laughs> and he's like, hey, Lisa, do you know that that's not normal? <laughs> do you know that there's like industries, like billion dollar industries of people holding seminars in all kinds of fields, real estate and insurance and, you know, workshops and just every kind of field, um, medical and health that are looking to enroll people in their, into their programs and trainings and courses and certifications. And that mostly they're happy if five or 10% of the audience registers. Like if you're, if you figured out how to have 30 or 40% register, you know, and, and then once they've registered and done the first class over 80% go on, you're doing something that a lot of people would want to know about. 
And I got to tell you, like, this was my, I think this is where, you know, questioning my beliefs, this upper limit, this blind spot um, of something I was really just doing from my heart because I cared about it and not seeing that there was a much bigger application for the thing that I was doing. I would say that that's the upper limit is thinking that this, that what I had figured out only applied to where I, where I was and not realizing that it applied to so many different businesses and so, you know, so far reaching and the difference it could make in the world. Like, what if that one piece of how do you inspire, you know, people to say yes on the spot to something that is transformational and to invest, to put it in their calendar and get their credit card out without being pushy or salesy? I mean, ultimately, that's what I had figured out. And looking at the expansion from believing that it was really just applicable in that company to that there were hundreds of thousands of of individuals, service professionals, coaches, speakers, companies that that were trying to crack that code like that, I, I had no idea. I had no idea. And so that coach encouraged me to write down what I had figured out because I, I couldn't see it. I knew I knew I like I was just doing things intuitively, but to actually uh, write it down. In fact, it was at that same time that I read a book that many of you here listening probably have heard of, and if you haven't, you know, go get it sooner than later. Called um, "Think and Grow Rich." It's from many many years ago by an author, very well known author named Napoleon Hill. It's on most successful business people's um, bookshelf, and one of the things that Napoleon Hill says in that book is that it's not the quantity of knowledge that you have that will bring you a great fortune. It's organized knowledge. It's organizing the knowledge that you have. And so really that's what he, now that I look back, I can see that that's the breakthrough. That's where I, you know, transcended my upper limit, you know, that, that, that this information is only helping this company. And, but then realizing if I were to organize what I had learned, that I could actually take it out and help way more people, a lot more companies who would then go out and help even more people. And just the ripple effect of pausing and organizing my knowledge uh, instead of instead of the normal path I think that people do, which is thinking they need to add more knowledge. And I was certainly on that path. Oh, do I need to you know get a coaching certification or learn something else? Or I, I thought I'll add knowledge, but it, it turned out not to be the case. Um, and so I organized what I knew. I wrote it all down as my coach suggested. And um, we ended up calling that, it ended up being an ebook. And we ended up calling it The Invisible Close, which now over a decade later is actually the brand name of our company. And, um, and all of our programs are powered by The Invisible Close philosophies. And now we teach things like how to sell from stage, where the brand holders of Speak to Sell, uh, the Speak to Sell Bootcamp, and how to sell from events, event profit secrets. So now this is a developed business that's done over $50 million of sales from home. Um, and it all came, though, from not realizing that I was cutting my teeth, you know, just on, on a passion, which was how do I get these women to say yes and do our seminars without being pushy or salesy? Lisa's story brings up an important point about resilience. Let's turn back to Emma Sharkey, the sports psychologist. Resilience is a is a topic that is debated in academics um, in across so many different fields, and 
resilience is something that's really hard to define. Um, there are some really good definitions out there and there are people that are still grappling with exactly how that definition looks and how it works and that's fine. That's part of being an academic is to figure out those things. Um, one of my favourite models of resilience, though, is the six factors model of resilience and um it was, uh, it was developed here in Australia, I believe, um, by uh, a guy named, um, hmm, I can't remember his first name. His last name is Rosso. I can't remember his first name though. Um, and he, his model is this six-factor six model of resilience and it talks about different, six different areas that we need to be investing in if we want to be a resilient person. The first one uh, is our vision or understanding our purpose. What what am I working towards here? What's the big picture? What's the vision that I am trying to achieve here? The second one is your ability to be composed in in difficult situations or just to be calm and and think clearly in, in situations. And that's not always possible to do, but at least having your skills for how you can try to retain composure. Um, being tenacious or having tenacity is a really important part of it according to this model and um, it's about your ability to to persevere your ability not to give up and um, I think Carol Dweck's work on mindset um, the growth and fixed mindset stuff is a really beautiful way to really live tenacity and to to change the story that you have with failure because failure is not always a bad thing and um, Carol Dweck's book Mindset is a, is a wonderful book and it has beautiful chapters on, on uh, how fixed and growth mindsets apply to every, lots of different areas of your life from your parenting to your sporting to your business world um, and so Carol Dweck's book is really wonderful and, and talks a lot about that and really links to this idea of tenacity. Um, having good reasoning skills or good problem-solving skills is really important and being able to really sit down and think about a problem and, and reason things out is, is an important part of resilience. Um, collaboration is an important part of resilience. So remembering that you're not going to do it alone um, and that you need to have a team of people around you that you can trust and support you. And that uh, that, that team is, is a really powerful source of resilience and can pick you up when you're down and can cheer you along and and all of those things. And that's not just to say that they're just a cheerleader and they constantly support and back you everything you do, but that they're also that, that critical friend and say, hey, have you thought about this and challenge you at times? Um, and the last component to it is our health. Um, it's actually really, really important to invest in good health. Uh, we need to be, the body-mind connection is really, really strong. In fact, there's some really good research in coming out at the moment about our gut health and our mental health. So when our gut is healthy, our, our anxiety levels are likely to be lower. And that, don't ask me the details on that one because I haven't fully read up on that. I just a, a dietitian friend of mine recently made me aware of it. Um, but there is research coming out about that. And our other elements of our health other than our nutrition are also exercise, so making sure that we're physically active. And there's some great TED Talks out there at the moment about exercise and um, its prevention and, in, and its role in preventing mental health issues or, or even treating some mental health issues and, and the function of our brain. So when we're more physically active, our, our ability to concentrate is better, our um, ability to think rationally, our ability to be more creative is all triggered by exercise at times. Uh, and sleep. 
sleep I, I will I could talk for another hour on sleep um, because it is it is the foundation of everything and having really good sleep habits and getting really good sleep is so important for our physical and our mental health and therefore our ability to perform at our best and Unfortunately, I think there's a little bit of a culture in the business world about bragging about how little sleep people get. You go, oh, I only get four hours a night and I'm fine. Or da, da, da. And, I, and I think that's, that's great if in, you know, there's more time you could be productive, but are you really being productive in all those hours that you're awake? And could that time actually be more productive if you got the seven, eight hours of sleep that your, your brain actually needs? Uh, and so I think that we really need to change our culture around sleep um, in some respects and really, really change um, the way we see it as a vital part of what we do and not just something that's nice to have on top. Uh, so my advice around that is basically really understand what you want to achieve with that vision, look after yourself, have a good team around you, change your relationship with failure because failure is not as scary as 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 it can sometimes feel like it is um and to be really um really reasoned with what you're doing and and really spend some time thinking things out and and developing that growth mindset an upper limit is coming from an ingrained unconscious idea that we hold beliefs that we have, stories that we're running, right? So it's a combination of the ideas, how, what we're whole, what our brain is holding onto as a belief system that we're carrying therefore into our emotional wealth zone. Um, and it's like each of us has a thermostat. We have like an inner thermostat and a setting that seems to determine how much love or how much success or how much money or how much creativity or how much love we can actually allow ourselves to enjoy. So there are four primary saboteurs, let's say, that really are the suspects in the creation of our upper limits and keeping them stuck at an upper limit. The first saboteur is really feeling ultimately at the end of the day, fundamentally flawed. This belief that in some ways there's just this immense barrier inside yourself. There's this thing that's just at the core, just wrong. And it brings fear and it keeps you from being able to really commit to going all in on your business, on your life, with your finances, like really stops you because you play safe. You stay small. Because that way, if you fail, then at least you're failing really small. The next saboteur is the disloyalty or abandonment. Ooh, that's a juicy one. This is one for me, for sure. And this is a barrier that keeps you from really expanding your full ability. It keeps you stuck in your capacity. Because if you are disloyal, if you leave people behind, 
well, that's not okay. If you abandon someone, well, that's not okay. And yet, how are we holding what is abandonment? How, how, how are we holding what disloyalty is? Must we be in relationship that we suffer? No. We have choice. We have ability, but it's when we hide in these kinds of sabotaging little sticklers, then we get stuck. There's a couple questions here you can ask to help you understand if this is something that is a barrier for you. Did I break my family's unspoken or spoken rules to get where I am? And even though I'm successful, did I fail to meet the expectations of my, what my parents had for me, had of me? And if you answered yes to either of those questions, guess what? You're probably feeling guilty. And as you become more successful, that guilt will continue to grow. And the guilt that you feel makes you put on the brakes. It's holding you back from ultimate success. It's keeping you from enjoying the success that you already have. Another saboteur. The more success that you make, the bigger the burden you become. Someone in your life who's like, why do you need more money. You're already making so much money. Ooh, right? These, these stories, these little whispers, they're little fear mongers coming to haunt you to really keep you stuck. It's that saboteur. Another saboteur is the crime of outshining others because you'll make him or her look or feel bad. And this is really common amongst talented children that then turn into incredibly gifted leaders. But we're told to not shine too much to make others look or feel bad. My father said to me, I was maybe, I don't know, two, three, four years old, He says, you want too much attention. Oh, oh, I still am like, oh, my heart broke. My heart broke. I was dancing around and having so much fun. And I just wanted to like connect and be with him. And that's, that's what he said. It broke my heart. And so I took on that little saboteur fear monger and I got all twisted up with that. Like, Oh, I can't have too much attention. Oh, right. And so this is the, this is the thing that we're doing. It's sabotaging us from actually playing a big game in our life. We're meant to shine. When you notice yourself doing one of the things on your upper limit list, such as like worrying or you feel like you're failing to communicate your truth, start to shift your attention to the real issue. Start seeing if you can just kind of like move the ball, just take another like a 1%, just 1%, because 1% 
over 30 days, that's 30% growth. That's a lot. Just a little expansion every day. What does that require you to do? It requires you to be present. It requires you to examine. It requires you to actually look at yourself, be with yourself, feel yourself, know what's happening in your body. And savor. Oh, savor. Mm. Like Emma Lagasse, he's got it right. Like just a little more garlic in this. Mm, so good. Right? Savor in your life. Everything. The food. Savor the sunset. Savor the, the results you got that client. Savor. Let yourself feel the joy from it. Let it in. Allow yourself to feel and savor. Well, we've got to understand what upper limit we've got running in the background, what we're bouncing up against. What's the root structure underneath that look like? And then become equipped to identify it and how you're limiting yourself. Putting down in a log, how you're tracking with money, how you're feeling about it, what you're thinking about it, and what your behaviors are. Literally logging that every day until you can begin to see some connections happening, until you begin to see the themes and patterns that are showing up for you. Awareness alone often is enough for us to create the change, the shift, to turn the dial on our thermostat a little bit more. That is certainly the first place to start. And once you've gotten there, there's a whole set, there's a whole set of steps you can take to help liberate yourself. So much of that we cover in our workshops at the Living Wealthy Institute, the Butterfly Ceremonies, the Getting Dirty uh, workshop series. So if you've gotten to the place where you've sat down, you're, you're tracking with some of this, and you're like, you know, I really want to take this the next step. I really want to figure out where to go from here. I really encourage you to take a look at our workshops. Thank you for listening to The Nature of Money, a show of the Living Wealthy Institute. I'm your host, Jennifer Love. Thank you for joining me. If you'd like support with identifying how your harmful narratives are blocking you from feeling worthy, valuable, whole, and freeing yourself and in your relationship with money, please book a discovery session with us. You can book that by going to jenniferlove.com and filling out a short and easy discovery form that helps me and the team prepare so we can show up and explore how to best support you. And will you take just a moment right now and give this show a stellar rating on the channel you're tuning into and then share this episode with someone who could really benefit from its magic. I deeply appreciate you.